Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, if you've been listening to this program for the past months, you know that this is not really a preaching program or a Bible teaching program. It's more of an application program. It's where we talk about the practical issues of ministry leadership and try to bring the biblical worldview and biblical perspective to bear on these issues. Now, my name is Jeff Orge, and I've been the president of Gateway Seminary for a number of years and a ministry leader for almost 40 years. And during that time, I've learned a few things along the way about how to solve some of the practical, daily, challenging issues that come at us as pastors or elders or deacons, ministry leaders, presidents, executive directors, people like that who have responsibility for leading ministry organizations. So each week we talk about a practical issue or a personal issue and try to bring some specific application and some action steps to help us do better in this task we've been given of ministry leadership. Now, most of the time on this program, we talk about things like vision and mission. We talk about things like finance and personnel, and we talk about all the different aspects of what it means to manage an organization. But today, I want to speak much more personally about a pressing issue for ministry leaders, and that is moral purity for ministry leaders. Moral purity. Moral purity must be maintained by ministry leaders because nothing damages your effectiveness and your legacy more than a moral failure. Now, part of developing moral purity as a ministry leader is understanding how immoral temptation seduces and subdues believers and even ministry leaders because none of us are exempt from these temptations are these problems. And having the wisdom to address these issues and to avoid catastrophic moral failure, that's a significant part of being a ministry leader today. You know, immorality is portrayed in the Bible in a number of different ways. In the book of Proverbs, for example, immorality is personified as a woman named Folly. You can find this in Proverbs chapter 9 and Proverbs chapter 5. Now, let me hasten to say that this personification of immorality as a woman named Folly doesn't mean that all women are immoral or that women are the cause of immorality or anything like that. Let's remember, this is just a biblical personification. It's a way of describing something that gives us a word picture, if you will, and that's important, an important distinction to make. But in Proverbs chapter 9 and chapter 5, immorality is described as a woman who's sitting by the doorway of her house at the highest point of the city. That's in Proverbs 9, 14. This imagery tells us that immorality is calling out to us, trying to get our attention from the most visible parts and points of our culture. You know, a good example of that today is pornography. I remember when I was a child that pornography was rare. You had to go and look for it. You had to go and find it. Not anymore. Now it's just like the proverb says, it's sitting at the doorway of your house at the highest point of your city, meaning the most visible and accessible point of communication possible today, meaning the internet. And it's calling out to us and trying to capture our attention at every moment. 
And then this personification of immorality as folly in chapter or chapter nine, verse 15 says that folly is calling out to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Now, this tells us that immorality is actually seeking us out these days. You know, there was a time in the not too distant past when immorality was available, but you had to know where to go to look for it. Not anymore. Now it's calling out to us. And no matter how straight a path you're trying to walk, and no matter how straight a path you may have walked for the past five or 10 or 25 years as a ministry leader, immorality is still calling out to you, coming after you and trying to get you off track. Immorality is also a temptation that overpromises and underdelivers. It says in Proverbs 9:16 that folly is calling out to the inexperienced and telling them to come to visit her and that she'll give them secret wisdom or she'll help them to make sense out of life. Sexual immorality promises so much more than it delivers. It promises pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment that it cannot and does not produce. Now, this is where ministry leaders are particularly susceptible. Ministry leaders work with a lot of pressure, a lot of tension, a lot of frustration. We often find ourselves embroiled in conflict and difficulty and aspects of life that are emotionally draining. And so when something comes along and in that context of our personal depletion promises us pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment, it's really easy to succumb to those temptations. And in fact, immorality in the short run often seems like it's delivering on its promises. In the early days of every immoral relationship, there's a heady rush of infatuation and the raw pleasure of unleashed sexual energy and all of that new awareness and new sharpness and supposedly new insight seems to bring about a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, but frankly, it's a false pleasure. It's false insight. It's false hope. It's a sham perpetuated on the unwise. Immorality promises so much more than it can deliver. Well, if you're a ministry leader today, you're living in a world like the proverb says, where immorality is pervasive, aggressively pursuing you, and promising you what it cannot deliver. And as a ministry leader, you may find yourself susceptible to succumbing to this temptation because of how immorality is stalking you these days. But let me encourage you to resist this temptation to fall into immoral behavior. The, the Bible tells us the disastrous consequences that befall us when we fall into immorality. First of all, Proverbs 5 says that immorality will leave you bitter, broken, and alone. The proverb says that immorality will leave you as bitter as wormwood and that it will cut you as sharp as a double-edged sword. You know, immorality entices you with vivid promises of emotional intimacy, but usually leaves you bitter and alone. I think about one particular person that I know that was involved in an immoral relationship she was involved in it for several years as what might be described as a kept woman. She was a long-term mistress of a leader. 
Ultimately, that leader broke off that relationship when he grew tired of this woman as she started aging. She found herself bitter, alone, broken, without hope or without future. It was a sad, sad situation. Immorality, the Bible says, also seals your strength and makes you sick. In Proverbs chapter 5, again, the Bible says immorality will cause you to give your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel, and that your physical body will be consumed. You know, STDs and other health problems are common results of immoral behavior. And not only are these things costly to you physically, but Immorality can be also very expensive as it takes a toll on your health over a prolonged period of time. And beyond that, not just health concerns, but immorality will just take your money. The Bible warns in Proverbs chapter 5 again that strangers will drain your resources and your earnings will end up in a foreigner's house when you involve yourself in immorality. Not only are the medical bills that I've already mentioned important, but the counseling bills for you and the people involved with your immorality to recover and your children and the high price they're going to pay for what you're doing. You've got your immorality covering, uh, being covered with additional phones and credit cards and financial costs and other things. Look, immorality is costly. It will leave you bitter and broken and alone. It steals your strength. It takes your money. It damages your lifestyle. And it destroys the relationships of people around you that mean so much to you. Well, we've spent the first part of the program kind of talking ourselves down into a dark place. Immorality is pervasive and on the prowl and trying to trip up ministry leaders. And when it does, it has these devastating consequences that I've just described. But now let's turn more to the positive. You're a ministry leader. You want to maintain your moral purity. You want to be on guard against the pervasive influence of immorality in our culture. And you want to resist. In fact, you want to avoid these negative consequences that I've already outlined. So what are some practical things you can do? Well, as we often are on this program, now let's turn to the intensely practical, some step-by-step actions you can take to maintain moral purity in ministry leadership. The first thing I would say is, you must limit your exposure to immoral influences. Remember, immorality is stalking you in our culture. It's aggressively out to get you. It's so pervasive, it's almost impossible to avoid entirely. But there are some specific things you can do to limit your exposure to immorality and to limit the influence that immoral behavior has in your life and that is trying to sway you to emulate or to copy what you're seeing. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean, some practical ways that you can limit exposure to immoral influences. The first thing I would say is limit your screen time, particularly the time you spend watching television and being entertained by visual stimulus. Now, this is going to sound so old-fashioned and so out of date that you'll think I must have been born in a different era entirely. But the first year my wife and I were married, we decided not to have a television. And we did that for a specific reason, that we wanted to break the habit in our lives of depending on outside stimulation or influence or entertainment, 
and learn to really enjoy one another and build our relationship with each other. Now, let me be clear. After that year, we got a TV, and today in our home, we actually have several televisions in a couple of different rooms that we use to watch entertainment. So I'm not against streaming uh, TV shows or watching your favorite programs or having TVs in places where you like to relax. I'm not against any of that. But I am saying that if you're going to avoid immorality in our culture, you have to get control of what you're watching. You have to turn off programs that contain immoral content. You have to avoid accessing pay-per-view sources that show explicit movies or programs. Now, you may say, oh, but I can watch that and not be impacted. You're a fool if you think that. You're being foolish by allowing something like that to invade your mind, to warp your thinking, to shape your perspective, and worse, you're modeling for your children and for people who follow you in ministry leadership behavior that you are, by participating in it, telling them is all right for them to do as well. You have to limit your screen time, particularly what you intake in terms of television programs, streaming video, and other aspects of entertainment that come into your life. And then I'll take it another step, and that is you have to carefully monitor the kind of movies you consume. Now, I know this is difficult because there are so many good movies out there that so many people in the culture want to see that have immoral behavior as a part of them. Now, I know, again, what I'm about to tell you, you think, man, you, were, you must live in a different world than I live in. No, I live in the same world you do, but I've just made some choices along the way that have helped me. But I made a choice about 40 years ago that I wasn't going to view R-rated movies. Now, you may say, well, that's just too legalistic. No, legalistic is when I tell you that you have to do something to follow one of my rules. That's legalism. It's conviction when you make a rule for yourself and follow it. That's not legalism. So I'm not telling you you have to follow my legalistic standard. I'm just telling you what I did and what a difference it's made in my life. For the past 40 years, I've avoided going to R-rated movies, particularly seeing those that had any kind of immorality, nudity, or sexual activity in them. And what I've done because of that is spared putting in my mind hundreds, if not thousands of scenes of sexual activity that would have warped my thinking about moral choices. I have avoided hundreds, if not thousands of scenes of sexual activity that would have tempted me, shaped my thinking, jaded my perspective, and lowered my defenses. I've also avoided a lot of different images that would have tainted my own understanding of my sexual relationship with my wife. Now, this has been a difficult choice over the years because, frankly, I'm sure I've missed out on a lot of good entertainment, but the trade-off's been worth it. The trade-off of not filling my mind with all kinds of visual imagery about immorality and the impact that would have had in my life has been worth it to have given up experiencing some forms of entertainment over the years. And then I would say a third way to limit your exposure, not limit your screen time, limit your movie time, and third, get control of your internet use. Now, there are a number of ways you can do this. Some people only use the internet in public places. That's a good step. 
Some people put filters on their computer and ask someone else to control the password so that they can only get into the computer in, in, in a certain way and at a certain time. Some people use a program that automatically communicates every website they visit to an accountability partner. I, I've used those in the past, and I've actually been the accountability partner for some other guys who've used them in the past. Here where I work, our IT department has access to my computer at any and all times, and they know every single place I've ever visited and every single thing uh, I've ever done. And uh, because of that, I have a pretty strong conviction about what I look at and what I don't because I know I'm being held accountable for it here in my workplace and here in the ministry organization I lead. So one of the most uh, prevalent ways that immorality worms its way into the lives of ministry leaders is through uh, online pornography and accessing immoral or illicit material online. So get control of your Internet use. Now, what I've said so far is three things you can do to uh, to get to limit your exposure to immoral influences. Get control of your TV time. Get control of your screen time. Second, get control of your movie time, what you go to theaters and see. And third, get control of your Internet use. Now, we go back to what the Bible said at the beginning. Immorality is stalking us in our culture. It's coming after us. It's trying to worm its way into our lives, jade our thinking, shape our behavior, and trip us up in such a way that we make a bad choice in a weak moment. And so if you're going to resist this, you're going to have to do the things that are required in this culture today to resist the pervasive influence of immorality. And the first thing you can do is limit your exposure to immoral influences by getting control of your screen time, your movie time, and your internet time. Now, a second big category of what you can do is to develop appropriate accountability relationships to help you in this area. This means developing accountability relationships with people who care about you, who know you better than you even know yourself, and are willing to confront you when you're wrong. Now, too many people think of accountability relationships as formal and sterile groups that just meet to grill each other. And while formal groups are helpful, you know, other kind of relationships can be just as motivating toward moral purity. So when you're developing accountability relationships that help you in this regard, yes, it might be possible to have a formal accountability group that meets from time to time or a formal accountability partner that meets with you regu regularly. But there's also some other kinds of relationships that might be helpful. One thing is to have transparency with a few close same-sex friends. Now, these are platonic or professional relationships. These are relationships that you have with other men or other women, same-sex relationships that help keep you on track. These are people who know you well enough to point out to you if they see you drifting, to ask you questions uh, about aspects of your life that they may have concern, or to even make some strong statements to you, if necessary, to get you back on track. I have a friend like this. A few years ago, I was really upset with a trend that was going on at the time of some prominent people getting involved, uh, prominent ministry leaders getting involved and getting caught in immorality. And I was venting about this to my friend, and I made this statement. I said something like, 
Uh, these guys are, are embarrassing us. They're undermining our ministry, and they hurt every one of us as ministry leaders. And I know that nothing like that will ever happen to me. And my friend turned around to me, lowered his voice, and said, those are the most dangerous words that have ever come out of your mouth. If you think it can't happen to you, it will happen to you. You better watch yourself. Man, that was a sobering conversation. And I have never forgotten that confrontation. A good friend, a, a guy about my same age, a guy who cared about me, was looking out for me, had the courage in a moment when I was venting about my frustration with others' immoral choices and my supposed uh, insulation or my supposed uh, inability to fall into that kind of a trap. My friend had the courage to confront me, to turn to me and say, watch yourself. If you think it can happen to you, it will happen to you. So while formal accountability groups are great, it's also important to have some good friends around you who you're doing life with, who from time to time, not when the quote group is meeting, but from time to time, when you say something that's inappropriate or they see you doing something that causes questions or they hear about you participating in a behavior or an entertainment or an, an action that raises concerns, these friends will have the courage to say to you, stop it. Pay attention. Get control of yourself. Now, another kind of accountability relationship is having the accountability of how you relate to people uh, in relationships in your ministry organization. Now, every one of us works with men and women and women and men. We work with people of different genders and different uh, backgrounds. That's perfectly normal. But we all have to have some protections built into how we operate so that we can make sure that these relationships don't drift into inappropriate kinds of connections. Let me give you just a couple of suggestions that have helped me over the years. First of all, while I'm willing to have a private meeting with anyone, I never ever have a secret meeting. A secret meeting is when I meet with someone that no one else knows it's happening or when I meet with someone in a place that no one else knows we're going to be there. No secret meetings. Now, if I'm meeting with you privately, I want to meet with you in my office where there's a glass in the door and people can see what's going on inside my office. Or I want to meet with you in a public place, like a coffee shop or something like that, where there are a lot of people around that form a kind of an accountability to that relation or to that meeting. So, yes, it is always appropriate for a man like me to meet with a woman one on one in a ministry leadership context. I meet with women sometimes for counseling. I also meet with women who are employees of our organization for planning and for strategizing, for problem solving. There's not anything wrong with meeting one on one with a person of the opposite gender. But you do this in careful ways. You do it by avoiding secret meetings and by either meeting in a place where there's visibility for the meeting or in a public place. So maintaining these kind of accountability steps in relationships will also help you to avoid bad moral choices. Well, today on the program, we've talked about a really serious issue, maintaining moral purity in ministry leadership. It's a lifelong struggle, a lifelong battle. It's essential that we win that war. Because if we don't, the devastating consequences undermine, destroy, debilitate, 
and often end our ministry leadership. So I'm challenging you today. Take up the mantle of maintaining moral purity in ministry leadership. If you've slipped in this area, if you feel like you're drifting, if there's already a problem, stop now. Turn around and get the help you need. Maintaining moral purity, it's essential for effectiveness in ministry leadership. It's a big challenge, but I know you can do it as you lead on.